Amen. Be seated. Be finding in your Bible Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And we are continuing in our series of messages about spiritual warfare today. And we're going to talk about the battle of the mind this morning. I don't know about you, but I feel like my mind has been under attack this past week. Anybody feel me on that? Any, anybody gone through that? Well, if you didn't go through it this week, you'll probably go through it this coming week. So, I mean, um, when Satan attacks, he attacks your mind. And so he bombards the young man with images that will cause him to, to stray away in his mind. He'll tell the young lady that she's not pretty enough or thin enough. He'll tell the older man that he's insufficient to the task and that he's used up. He'll tell the older lady that no one cares. Frank Outlaw, who was the uh, CEO of Winn-Dixie, said, watch your thoughts, they become words. Watch your words. I have that up there, Daniel, if you'll stick it up there for me so people can follow along. Appreciate it, brother. Let's start back over with that one. Watch your thoughts, they become words. Watch your words, they become actions. Watch your actions, they become habits. Watch your habits, they become character. Watch your character, it becomes your destiny. And so, what does it all start with? Your thoughts. So, Satan knows this and he uses television and the internet. He uses video games and billboards, flashes, uh, magazines to infiltrate our minds with despicable sludge. Thoughts that are wrong. Words that are evil. The devil knows that if he can captivate your mind's attention, he will soon control your heart's affection. And spiritual war is waged on that battlefield. The battlefield of your mind. That's where the war is played out. And so how have you been doing in your thought life? That's the subject today. Where are your thoughts this morning? What has captivated your, your mind and your attention today? We're in Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to pick up in verse 16. Would you stand with us as we read together? Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 16. Paul says, In all circumstances, take up, Take up, all, in all circumstances, the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. 
Let us pray together. Father, we are thankful for your word today, Lord. And now, Lord, we pray that you would give me the words to say that would give life to those who hear. And Father, that we would hear and, Lord, turn and be saved from those things, Lord, that would lead us out of your will. And Father, if there's one here today that does not know you and has not put their faith in Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, we pray, Lord, that they would know Christ today, Lord, that they would be saved and they would have their name written down in the Lamb's book of life. And Lord, we would dwell with you in eternity with them because of the work that you do in their life today. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The devil doesn't want you here today. He doesn't want you to hear the words that are being spoken today because they are truth and they are life-giving truth. And it's not my word, it's the word of the Lord. It's not what authority that the pastor has, it's the authority of the word of God. It's not the truth that I have come up with or I have determined. It's God's truth. And the devil is a liar And the devil wants to keep you from this place and he wants to keep your mind from here. If he can get your if he can't keep your body from being in this place, he wants to keep your mind out of this place. He wants to keep you distracted and not just here, but on a daily basis, he wants to keep you distracted. And you know how it goes. You sit down with the word and you're about ready to read and someone comes into the room or the phone rings, right? Or you hear a a siren outside or something distracts you from God's word. And all of the the distractions and all of the noise and all of those things in the world around us are meant by the enemy to keep our minds off of God. And he'll play with our minds, folks, if we give him any territory in our minds. He'll put a post on Facebook just to keep us from focusing on the The main thing. And so the rest of the suit of armor that we're examining today, which we've already looked at a couple of pieces of the armor. So let's just kind of go back and and review verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Listen, it's really important that we remember that, that we take up the whole armor of God and not just part of the armor of God, but we take it up. And we also remember that it's not our armor. It's the Lord's armor. It's spiritual armor. And the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're spiritual and they have divine authority. All right. And so take up the whole armor of God that we may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. And we remember that the belt holds everything together. And then also having Uh, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Remember, that protects those vital organs, your heart, the things that you hold dear, righteousness, right relationship with God and with those around us. And then for shoes for, for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And then he says in verse 16, our text this morning, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. And so the first one, the, the first one that we'll look at today, the first piece of the armor today is the shield of faith. We need faith in God for every activity and any activity that is worthwhile for the Christian to engage in for the kingdom of God. We need it in all circumstances. There's one, just one word there in the Greek, and it just means everything, all things. 
So, so is there any time where we can just kind of let our faith go by the wayside? No. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And we have to maintain our faith. The, the Roman soldier's shield was vitally important. And it was especially important because of the Roman warfare and their strategy that they had. And so Paul says to take it up, that same word that's used in other places. It's, it requires activity. It requires maintenance. It requires a, an ongoing activity in our lives to exercise our faith and strengthen our faith by walking and trusting in God. The word faith in the Bible, in the New Testament, it literally means to trust. To put trust in something. So when we have faith in God, we are putting our trust in Him. And it isn't, a, isn't it important that you would trust that you can be protected against the enemy. Why? We talked about how he is a formidable foe. He is a strong enemy. And we need to be able to stand firm against him. We have to have faith in an even bigger and stronger God. Amen? When we think about our enemy, we need a big God behind us. In ancient Roman warfare, the Roman legions would align their shields in the testuto formation. And that word means, in Latin, that word means tortoise. So you think about a turtle shell. The Roman legionnaires would align their shields so tightly that the formation would resemble the shell of a turtle. It was such a strong and successful defensive technique that enemy arrows and spears and stones could not penetrate the formation. And in, even in some accounts, even horses and chariots could ride over the top of the formation without penetrating it. You think about that. It was strong. And so he says, take up the shield of faith. And then he says what we can do with the shield of faith. He says, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Roman shields were made from layers of rawhide leather. And then they would, before the battle, they would drench that leather in water because the enemy would be shooting flaming arrows and as soon as it would hit the shield, the water from the rawhide would spew out and put the arrows, the flaming arrows out and extinguish them. And that's the picture of what it's like for you and me. Every single day, the enemy is shooting his flaming arrows at any soft spot he can find in your armor. He's looking for that hole. He's looking for that place where he can infiltrate. He can bring his lies and his deceit and his sludge and put it into your life. But when you hold up the shield of faith, the Bible says you can extinguish the arrows of the enemy. That's how we fight against the lie of the enemy is that we tell him what we know about God. And we stand in that faith. Our faith is that primary defense against the devil's schemes. My, my bigger little brother, Jared, when we were kids, we had a dartboard. And we must have been, I don't know, I was probably 10 and he was a couple years younger than me, so he's 8. And we had a dartboard. I don't know what my parents were thinking, giving us a real dartboard with real arrows, sharp arrows, but we had them. And so I hung 
we hung the, the dartboard on a square column in our house. And below that square column were some steps, kind of like this. So imagine a column, a column here and steps below. And I was tossing the darts, not paying attention. And at some point, Jared made his way over and sat down on the steps. And I'm terrible at darts. And so I'm throwing the darts, not paying attention to him, and he's over there playing with his toys. And I threw that dart, and it fell short, way short. And it went right into his neck. Right to his neck. He survived. I mean, he's still alive. It hit him right here in the neck, and it just stuck in during, I mean, poking out. And he didn't, I mean... He didn't really flinch or anything. He just kind of sat there for a second and then realized what happened. And then he went, ah, just like that. He got hit by a dart. And I think about how when it comes to the shield of faith, we're vulnerable to the right and to the left. I know, listen, sometimes my faith is weak. Sometimes I'm not trusting in God as I should. Sometimes I don't stand on the things that I know about God like I should. And I become vulnerable to my right and to my left. And so like that Roman legionnaire, I need the soldier to my right and I need the soldier to my left to be standing firm in the faith with me as well to protect me. And that's why your faith is so important in the battle that we're facing right now today against our enemy. I need you and you need me and I need the protection of your armor, your shield in the battle. I need you to come alongside me. Be my helper. And when you see your brother or your sister weak and falling down, you have to do the work of faith, of building them up and reminding them of who our God is and how strong He is and how the enemy cannot defeat our God. They need to know and you need to tell them. The shield of faith is so important. Some of us are unwilling to trust because we've been burned. We've been hurt too many times. The darts have hit us. And we think it would just be easier for us to walk away. But I'm telling you, when you turn your back and walk away, you expose yourself to the attack of the enemy worse than ever. The shield covered the front as we're marching forward into the thick of the battle. You can't run away. It's time to lock shields with the person closest to you and stand strong. Take up the shield of faith. But secondly, Paul tells us, not just to take up the shield of faith in this battle of the mind, battle of the thought life, but he says to put on the helmet of salvation. Well, where does the helmet go on? On the what? On the head. Say it. On the head. That's where it goes. Well, what's inside your head, hopefully? Your brain, right? And you think with your brain. And Paul says to take up the helmet of salvation. When he says take it up, the Greek word literally means to grasp it. To put your hand out, reach out, grab it, and pull it to yourself. That's what it literally means. That's what that Greek word means. So to take up the helmet of salvation, it's an activity of grasping 
getting it. I love what Paul tells uh, the, the deacons that they are to do. They are to hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And I've put that before all the deacons. And I've thought, you know, how do we hold to the mystery of the faith? Like it's something that's difficult to understand. But then do it with a clear conscience at the same time. It's beyond our thoughts. We can't think deep enough, high enough, wide enough to understand the breadth of God's love, the depth of His sacrifice. We can't know all of those things, but what are we called to do? Believe it and hold on to it. Grasp it. Can you grasp what Jesus did for you? The gravity of your salvation. Can you grasp it? No, you can't. But you can believe it. And you can reach out and take hold of it. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5. We've read this one in our series already. But we'll read it again. We destroy arguments. And every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And take every thought captive to obey Christ. We're reaching out and we're grabbing hold of our thoughts. And we're keeping them in line. And we're protecting them against the lie of the enemy. Do you know that you're so loved by the God who created you? That he has sent his one and only son. That you would not perish. But that you would have eternal life. When you remember that and you recall that and you bring that to mind. What are you doing? You're putting on the helmet of salvation. When you do that every day and you remind yourself that God loved you enough that He died for you. Paul says in the book of Thessalonians that the helmet of salvation is also the hope of our lives. In 1 Thessalonians 5.8 he says, But since we belong to the day, in other words, we're we're not children of the darkness, we're children of light. Let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, And for a helmet, the hope of salvation. How many days of the week do we feel discouraged and tired and downtrodden? What is the answer? What's the solution? Remind yourself that God loves you enough to die for you. What in the world, what in the world could you ever face that could be too much? When you remember what Jesus endured for you. And so then we fix our eyes on what's coming for us. The same Jesus who died for us was buried in a tomb. And then on the third day was raised again. And now he's alive and he ascended into heaven and he's promised glory to God. Hallelujah. Jesus is going to come back. And He's going to take us to be with Him one day. And when we put that helmet of salvation on every single day, we can go out on the battlefield and face the enemy. You know, I don't know if it was like this at every program, but I remember the football program at Richland High School. The coaches told the players, when you're standing on the sideline, you keep your helmet on. Because we may grab you at any moment and take you out on the field and say, it's your turn to be in in the game. And if you don't have your helmet on, you're not ready. If you go sit down on the bench over here, you take that helmet off. But if you stand on those sidelines ready to get in the game, you really want to play, and you keep that helmet on. 
I don't know if that's true in every other program. Maybe it is. But for you and me, sometimes we're not in the battle because we've left our helmet on the sidelines, the helmet of our salvation, the hope that keeps us calm under pressure, the hope that we have that we share with the world around us. Someone said it this way, let the mind of your master become the master of your mind. Let the mind of your master The mind of Christ. Let his mind become your mind. I remember flying for the first time. And you know how you've seen them. You've seen the people. Now you notice them. If you've ever flown a second time, you notice other folks that are, when it's time to take off, they're holding on as if they can hold themselves in the plane. Uh, And I was that way and then here comes the pilot over the loudspeaker, and he says, folks, we're going to feet or whatever. You know, I can't understand anything he's saying. But then he mentions the destination. We're going to be arriving at JFK International Airport at 10.30 a.m. We look forward to a wonderful flight, and we'll check back in after, you know. So then I go, oh, okay. At least the pilot has a plan to land this plane. I'm going to be okay. And remembering that God has a plan for you and for your life. And it all results in glory. Makes today worth every effort. Philippians 4 and verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true. So this is in the meantime. Okay, This is a day-to-day putting that helmet on. Whatever is true. Whatever is honorable. Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And I think about the times whenever I'm, I'm, I'm a young man and, and I'm going to high school and then going to college and I'm thinking about what the world wants me to think about. Whatever is false, whatever is dishonorable, Whatever is unjust, whatever is nasty, detestable, whatever is unloving, whatever is despicable. If there's anything that you could laugh about that's wrong for you to laugh about, think about those things. Doesn't the world want to corrupt our mind? Well, why? Because the enemy knows that a mind that has stayed on God is a mind at perfect peace. And it's a mind that can run into the battle with absolute confidence. And when Paul says, think about these things, that we get the English word logic from that word. And, and so what Paul is saying here in Philippians is, in other words, to think long and hard about it. Think long and hard about it. Ponder about it. Reason about it. Here in Ephesians, grasp it. Take it up every single day. The helmet of salvation. Don't let the evil thoughts in. The third element of the armor that we'll look at this morning, the sword of the Spirit. Look again with me in verse 17. So Paul had already said, take up the helmet of salvation then in the same way and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
the sword of the Spirit. Notice that this is the only offensive portion of the armor, and many people have made a lot about that, talking about how it is an offensive weapon. Well, the sword is not only an offensive weapon, it's also a defensive weapon. It's it's a double-edged sword, and it cuts both ways. It's what we use when we attack and slay the devil, and it's also what we use to defend against the devil's attack against us. But I want, what I want to point out to you is uh, something that's a little bit different. It's not about the offensive or defensive nature of the weapon because we all understand what a sword does. It's really about the word that Paul uses to describe it whenever he says it is the word of God. There's two different words in the New Testament that describe the word of God. The first one is the word logos. And that word is, it speaks generally of the revelation of God. The second word is the word rhema. And rhema is a little bit different. One theologian described it this way, that logos is a lot like a, a deep well where the, the total revelation of God can be found. And so we take the word, the Bible, we understand it is a wealth of knowledge, but it's more than knowledge. It is the, the revelation of God and how... He has created us, how He loves us and how He redeems us and how He will ultimately bring the world to its final culmination. This is the deep well. It's the Logos. And Jesus is the central figure. He is the Logos incarnate. Jesus is the Word. He is the Logos. Well, what about the word rhema? And this is the word that Paul uses and he says that that the sword of the Spirit is the rhema of God. Well, that word rhema, if the Bible or the revelation of God is the logos, logos is the deep well, then rhema is like the bucket full that's poured out in the moment to meet the need. That's what the word rhema means. So it's like a word spoken fitly and timely for the moment. That's what a rhema is. It's that moment where you've been in the Word, you've been in the Logos all week long, you've been filling up with the Word of God, but in the moment, whenever you're pressed or you're squeezed or the devil's attacking you, it's that Word that comes out that He gives you in the moment. It's the manifestation of the Spirit's presence right there in that moment, and He puts it on your heart, and He says, this is the Word of God for you right now. That's the word rhema. That's what it means. And so Paul says, take up the rhema. Well, how do you do that? How do you have, have no right when it's time to pull the weapon out and use the weapon? How do you know that? Well, he says it is what? The sword of the spirit. The, the spirit is the one who wields the rhema. He's the one that tells us. And walking in the spirit comes comes from walking in the Word daily. And so if you're not walking in the Word daily, you're hindering the work of the Spirit. You want to have your your sword as sharp as it can be, and you want to be as skilled as you can be when it's time to use it, if you're the soldier on the battlefield. And so you and I, we have to keep our sword ready by being in the Word of God. If you're in the Logos, in the deep well of the Logos every day, you will have the rhema for the moment. God will give it to you. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, 
He responded to Satan's attempts to use Scripture and to twist it. And how did he respond? Each time Jesus began with the words, It is written. He won the battle using Scripture. Matthew 4 and verse 4, But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And Jesus was hungry when he said that. But when when Jesus said that, it was the rhema, the word of God that came out. But every word that comes from the mouth of God. Hebrews 4 and verse 12. Now this is the word logos, and it's um, verse 12. The deep well, it says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Maybe sometimes we're not in the Word as much as we should be is because we don't want the Word to expose our thoughts. We don't like the cleansing of the Word. But I'm telling you, you're vulnerable without your sword on the battlefield. I think about the Marines. I saw a video of them today training jumping off of a 20-foot platform, holding their weapon above their heads, treading water with their weapon above their heads. I couldn't do it. I could, I'm telling you right now, Miss Sylvia, I could not do that, okay? But I know some, some men better than I who have done it. Why is that so important? You can't let go of your weapon. On the battlefield. I want to tell you the last piece that we're going to look at. And some of, some of you may say, well, hold on. That's not a piece of the weapon. No, I don't say no. This is part of every piece of the, of the, uh, the armor. And the last one is strategic prayer. Look at verse 18. So Paul finishes up the whole paragraph. And he says it this way. Praying at all times. Now, I want you to think about the inclusive nature of all of the words that Paul uses. He says, take up the whole armor of God. And then he says, in every circumstance, take up the shield of faith. And then he says in verse 18, praying at all times. Once again, folks, is there ever a moment where the Christian can let their spiritual guard down? All right, that wasn't very strong. No, let's say it again. Is there ever a moment that the Christian can let their spiritual guard down? No, not a moment. Not a moment. And you can't check out spiritually because in that moment you become vulnerable. And the devil will wreak havoc in your life possibly for years to come, maybe even the rest of your life if you let your spiritual guard down for a moment. You know who I think of? I think of David. David was not where he was supposed to be. He let his eyes wander just for a moment. Just for a moment. He saw something that he should not see. And the devil began to play with his mind. Had one teacher Whenever I was a teenager in Sunday school, he, he taught the young men this. He said, whenever your eyes see something that they should not see, you have five seconds. 
You've got five seconds to make a decision. Either turn away from that or else you'll be captivated by that. And David, was five seconds. He looked. He lingered. He liked it. He lusted. And then he was lost. And so... We can't let our guards down spiritually. And one of the ways that we keep this armor all fastened about us is through the practice of prayer. Now listen to what it says here. He says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And so I've kind of broken those statements down and into four, four steps of prayer. And this is how we how we have strategic prayer. Number one, we practice prayer. He says praying at all times in the Spirit, with all supplication. If you haven't prayed in a while, it might be awkward at first to get it going again, Taking talking to someone that you can't see or hear talk back to you. Okay, So sometimes prayer seems a little weird for us to do this if you're new to being a Christian. But I'll tell you, if you don't learn how to pray, You're disconnecting from your lifeline. Jesus said to his disciples, teach us to pray. And so it's something that takes practice. It's something that has to be learned. And Paul says, pray. And if you don't know what to say to the Lord at first, just pray the Lord's Prayer. He gave us a prayer to pray. And notice that the Lord's Prayer, one of the key components of the Lord's Prayer is spiritual warfare. Notice what he says. Deliver us from evil. Some translations say, deliver us from the evil one. Remember, Satan is the embodiment of evil, so I don't have a problem with that different translation there. Start practicing prayer. God will speak to you, to you and he will ignite your prayer life with power that you cannot even imagine how powerful prayer is. Dr. Charles Stanley, before he passed away, he used to say this, we must remember that the shortest distance between our problems and their solutions is the distance between our knees and the floor. What is he saying? He's saying every problem that we face, every attack of the enemy, the solution is found in prayer. And so we practice prayer. Then, secondly, we protect prayer. The enemy wants to disconnect you from God and he'll do anything to distract you, to deter you, and to discourage your prayer life. And you need to set a time aside. Set set aside time to pray. You have to make it a point. And you can't say, I don't have time to pray. You have to make time to pray. You have to. Because something will always take your attention away from prayer. We used to play medic whenever we played with the youth. Uh, we'd play a laser tag or we'd play, uh, what's the other, uh, paintball. And we'd play medic. And, and so when, you, when your medic got killed, you, you couldn't get back in the game at all. I think they play this with dodgeball too over in the gym, don't we? we play medic and, and so once your medic gets out of the game, then that's it. Well, well prayer, your prayer life is kind of like the medic. 
You got to keep up that. You got to protect that time. You have to say that's so important. It doesn't matter. My my offensive weapons and my defensive weapons, none of them matter if I lose my medic. Amen. That's your prayer life. If you let your prayer life go, you're letting your armor fall apart. And so we have to protect it. And then persist in prayer. Notice what he says. He says, uh, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. That word means to persist in it. I hear people say, I'm just about ready to quit. Don't ever quit praying. Keep on, keep it on. Even when we think our prayers aren't accomplishing much, we have to keep on. And in the end, we'll see the harvest of righteousness if we do not lose heart. Luke 11, 8 through 9 says, I tell you, Jesus is talking about giving a parable and saying, a friend comes and knocks on your door at night and, and you say to him, no, nah, my kids are in the bed. The door is locked. My lights are out. Go back home. <laughs> I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, and the word there literally means persistence, because he keeps knocking in the middle of the night, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And then Jesus follows up that statement and he talks about prayer. And this is how he, how he, how he finishes up the parable. He says, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. The idea is persistence in prayer. Is it, is it that we can just badger God and finally get what we need? No. The idea is that we keep trusting, and God rewards our faith. And then lastly, we provide prayer. So we practice prayer, we protect prayer, we persist in prayer, and then we provide prayer for other people. Because prayer is not just about you, it's for the person to your right or to your left. And Paul says, making supplication for all the saints, that God would supply the needs of your brother or your sister. And some of us need to learn to practice that type of prayer. You know who has taught me, he's not here this morning, but you know who has taught me this idea of providing prayer for others more than anybody, I think, probably in my life? Ron Lentini. <laughs> is he here? Oh, there he is in the back. Oh, he's, he's looking around going, not me. I'm telling you, Pastor Ron has taught me to stop and pray about it, no matter what it is. And he's also told me, I'm not going to leave you without praying for you. So, And he does that. But I've learned so much about that. Praying for the saints. And then Paul goes on to say, and it's almost selfish what he says, but Paul knows that his armor is not as bright as it ought to be if other Christians aren't praying for him. So he says in verse 19, and also for me. That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. You know, part of your prayer life is learning to ask for prayer. Learning to turn to your brother or your sister and say, hey, would you pray for me? I need, I need prayer right now. 
So what about your thought life today? How's the battle going on the battlefield of your mind? Have your thoughts been in the gutter lately? Paul says this, and I'll finish up with these two quotes. He says, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. So if you're going to think about selfish things, earthly things, it's going to result not in just a bad day. It's going to result in death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. And then he urges us in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he says, do not be conformed to this world. Don't let your minds be conformed to this world. Don't let your thought life be conformed to the pattern of the world. But be what? Transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And today... For the one here in this place, and you've never put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, if that's you today, but you sense His drawing, His good and perfect will for you today, that He's calling you to reject the the thoughts of the world that would keep you from putting your faith in Jesus. What's good and perfect and what is His will for you is for you to say yes to Jesus and to be saved. And I want to lead you in a prayer to do that. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? It begins with simply confessing that you are a sinner in need of His mercy and grace and saying, I I personally have sinned and I deserve the penalty. And then knowing that Jesus has done everything for you, putting your faith in Him to save you. So I'll lead you in that prayer. You just repeat this prayer in your heart silently to God. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I admit to you that I am a sinner. I've done things that I know are wrong and I've failed to do the things that I know are right. And Jesus, I deserve the penalty for my sin. I deserve to be separated from you for eternity in hell. But Jesus, I believe that you lived a sinless life and you died on the cross for me. That you suffered the penalty for my sin. I believe that you were raised again on the third day to prove that you are God. And that you're alive in heaven today and you will return. So Jesus, I ask you to forgive me. I put my faith and trust in you. Will you be my Savior and my Lord? Jesus, thank you for hearing my prayer. And thank you for my salvation. I'll spend the rest of my life loving you and serving you. In your name I pray. Amen. Now would you stand to your feet with me? This is our invitation. This is your opportunity. That if you've prayed that prayer, it's time for you to come and be encouraged and share what just happened in your heart. So that we can offer you resources and we can get you connected to a small group. We can offer you baptism, believer's baptism by immersion. Whatever the case may be, whatever you need, you come. If, if you're looking for a church home, Myrtle Grove would love to have you as a member of our church.